What's up, everybody? Welcome to Keith and Mike. Watch Star Trek Deep Space Nine. I forgot to say Star Trek last week. It was, uh, I, <laughs> what, are you, what are you laughing at already? I have a very simple job. Wait, <laughs> I hit one button and I hit the other button and I've done it wrong <laughs> almost every time. No, if you thought, you know, look, they're in their third episode. They'll get a little better. They'll get a little smoother. No, we won't. But we are here to talk about Deep Space Nine, season one, episode three, A Man Alone. Uh, this was actually the second episode shot and was going to be the second episode aired, but it's not. And we're going to tell you all about it. We're going to talk about the episode in depth. Very excited about it. But before we do that, we're going to do the annoying part. Mike, do the annoying part. Well, the annoying part is this. I mean, you asked on the other channel for me to not wear a hat so you could see that I actually had hair. And we do what you ask. But not for long are we just going to do it unsolicited because we're only <laughs> going to take orders from those who fund the show. And if you'd like to fund the show, you can be one of those backers by joining us on our Patreon page, whose perks are being uh, developed as we go along. But regardless, uh, for as little as $1 a month, up to as much as you've got to give us, uh, you can help support the channel to offset some of the cost and some of the time that we put into it. Hopefully, you've been enjoying the ride, a little nostalgic trip, either on this show or one of our other shows. In addition, if you're unable to join us on the Patreon, you can still help out the show by liking the channel, liking this video, subscribing to the channel, or just chat with us in the chat Tell a friend to check out these two nerds on the internet who haven't grown up, and we hope that you never do either. Keith, let's talk some Trek. Haven't grown up, never will grow up. And uh, But I do get older and fatter. I was much younger and uh, much thinner when this episode aired on Sunday, January 17th, the year 1993, but I was still listening to the classic Whitney Houston tune, I Will Always Love You. Let me just tune that in for a second. Bittersweet memories. Well, I got the, taking you with me. I got the verse. Okay. Well, that was horrible. <laughs> and I Isn't it? It's remarkable that we're both professional musicians. <laughs> you, wouldn't, you wouldn't guess. You wouldn't guess. No, you would not. But you would guess that the top movie continued to be Aladdin, which had taken the first uh, spot in the charts three out of the last four weeks. Got to steal to eat. Got to eat to live. Tell you all about it when I got the time. Thank you, indeed. I can't wait for the musical rendition of the New York Times headline, Iraq refuses to assure safety of inspectors' flights in the South. Do you need some safety? We can guarantee. <laughs> wow. All right, well, <laughs> I guess I asked for it. Yeah, you, really, you really teed it up. I certainly did. This episode was directed by Paul Lynch, who directed five episodes of The Next Generation and five of Deep Space Nine. This episode had a teleplay and story by Muggle Pillar and a story by Gerald Sanford. And as we do every week, because yeah, it's fun, 
We're going to give three pieces of trivia, only three. There's a lot more on the internet if you're interested. And uh, if you have any cool trivia, drop it below in the comments because I am always delighted to find out things I didn't know in the first place. So um, this is the first appearance of the character of Rom, despite being in the pilot. Uh, but you'll notice his voice and mannerisms have not been established yet. We talked a little bit about last week about uh, trying to figure out your character as you go along. That certainly happened with the character of Rom. He was billed as a pit boss in the pilot, and now in this episode, he's there. It's 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 Max it's Max Grodenchik, but uh, it's not really quite Rom yet. This is also the first and last time the Bajorans are referred to as the Bajora. So not only had they not figured out uh, some of the mannerisms, but they didn't even figure out how you referred to the people, the Bajoran people, uh, which are kind of an important thing to have figured out. But uh, so we're still negotiating, but uh, it will eventually be the Bajorans. Okay. And the last piece of trivia, you might actually like this one, Mike, as a Star Wars fan, because when Odo checks Ibudan's activity log, there is a log there for departure from Alderaan spaceport. That's so. I know we have a we have a little crossover, a little wink there, just on the screen. It's never said, but uh, it's kind of cool. Even though Alderaan doesn't exist anymore, it got blown up. It did get blown up. So he, it's glad. Good thing he departed then, huh? Mm, good point. That's important. So our guest stars included our first appearance of Keiko O'Brien on Deep Space Nine, though, of course, we knew her well from Star Trek The Next Generation, played by Rosalind Chow. Uh, so that is fun. We also have Edward Albert as Zayra. We have Max Grodenchik as Rom, uh, who I mentioned before. And, of course, Aaron Eisenberg is back as Nog. Both Rom, actually Keiko, Rom, and Nog are all recurring characters on the show. Not necessarily guest stars, but because they're not in the credits, you're guest stars. So, uh, Mike, are you excited to dive into your third episode of Star Trek The Deep Space Nine? Yeah, totally. I, I fueled up with some Girl Scout cookies, uh, so I'm mm -hmm. High Cal Mike, and let's do this thing. Let's do this. Let's hop over into the theater and talk about our teaser from a man alone, we have ourselves a nice CGI ball here. We meet Dax, who is playing with a CGI brain ball while Bashir hits on her. Bashir has no idea what a brain teaser is for some reason because he's dumb dumb Bashir at this point. Dax remind us, reminds us that she's old and Julian is too horny to keep his ball afloat. What did you uh what did you feel about this this uh scene here, Mike? Um well, as I mentioned, uh, I'm a little annoyed by his horniness. I mean, don't get me wrong, she's cute and all, but like, I, I thought, you know, I don't know that I agree with that because she doesn't, she doesn't, even in the pilot, she has not said no to him. She's, she's finds with him, I think, his flirtatiousness, I think she finds endearing and potentially like a, like a cat playing with its mouse. But, mm -hmm. but okay, that's all that that teaser Steen reminded me of because the whole puzzle mechanic, he, fails at it and it's like they think that it's pretty lame straight up did nothing for me so well, i was like all look, right let's run the credits because i love those credits i love me those credits roll them it's it's reinforcing the two things we know about bashir so far uh 
he's horny and he's dumb. horny. Yeah, simple and but, horny. Uh, which is which is weird as we get to know him later. But uh, that's well, what we know. Well, this episode specifically, he does he gets to do a lot of smart bleeps and bloops. Yeah, well, it, we find out he's a remarkably good doctor, but uh, in real life, that's uh, that's where he is. So we begin Act One of A Man Alone. There's horniness abound in this episode. Trigger warning: horny mm. everywhere. Horny, yeah, for sure. Business is good at Quark's bar, and Odo is naturally suspicious. We see O'Brien fighting with his wife Keiko. Also, speaking of horniness, we find out that Odo is a virgin. Quark is also horny for Dax. <laughs> I forgot. I wrote this ahead of time. Uh, Odo sees someone at the Dabo table, and Dabo is their like gambling game. Uh, and uh, he knows that Odo knows, but he's not happy to see. So. Uh, that's so. That's so the the first setup. Did you did you get any? What did you think about Odo being a virgin here? Uh, you know, I didn't clock that, but I did clock that his uh ref, his. See, I didn't say the coupling as I, I took it as a double entendre. I didn't see that he was a virgin, but I realized that he wasn't really into like dating anymore. And I thought that maybe it's because he didn't have time, or it was something to do specifically with his species or something. But I thought it was a really cool script uh, how. He gave a very specific hypothetical about why he doesn't like relationships. Like, and it went on and on. It was very specific as to like, oh, he had that one relationship that sort of biffed him for life. So I thought it was cool. I liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Look, we all have that 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 first relationship that really messes us up from middle school or high school. I get it. And, and you could see it. how like there could be initially, no, once again, People who who have not seen it or were coming in fresh at this moment, were there to draw some parallels between like him maybe and and Data in this sort of like not really human type, but mm. here they're like that's not the case. He clearly has a back history. He clearly has human emotions and all these things. He just is he is the way he is because of a series of events, not because of like his species or whatnot. Well, I mean, he's clearly an outsider, and I think that he's he's looking. You know, Odo's looking at everybody a little bit, like you said, like a cat with a mouse. So he's he's looking at everyone like they're in a museum, sort of removed, and whether that's self protective or whether or not he's it's it's interesting. We're going to explore that as we move forward. So in our next scene, we see Dax and Cisco have a chat about food, and we hear that Cisco's father is dead for now, and uh, we hear that Cisco misses Curzon, um, and of course. Dax being a symbiote, like his uh, their previous host was Curzon, and the best friends with Cisco, and now it's a little bit weird to have uh, to have Curzon in a new body. But I think it was a it's a very interesting dynamic. We're, we're, we'll probably talk about it in this episode. But um, yeah, go ahead. I I thought that you know we're gonna get into it. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go fully into it right now. But what I what I was starting to feel here, which I find is really interesting to me, is, and I think the creators do a great job of it. So here's this really interesting dynamic, right? This man who is he is he, who's sitting right here in in <clears throat> for all intents and purposes, who is a, a mentor to Cisco, and right. with an, an aged wisdom, and we know he's he has expressed he has that type of respect. With him and also with this friendship, but now is in the is in the host body of a very attractive, capable 
young woman as well. And I don't think that Avery Brooks in any way, shape or form is explicitly flirting or any of those things, but me as a human with my human experiences and just like the general gender dynamic that I know and understand. That's code for Mike's horny too. You can read, easily read subtle body language that he, maybe he is flirting with her, maybe he is attracted to her, maybe th that confusing melting pot of emotions is really kind of awkward as you mentioned, but also super cool. What, what will that, how will that play into their relationship? How will that play into all kinds of stuff? Is there conflict with Bashir? Like what, what is gonna happen? And what is, how does the, I don't know anything about the trail, right? So right. do they, are they above it? Are they into it? Do they have, what's gonna, I'm interested. And I know you Keith has mentioned in other shows that he's not particularly into the will they, won't they romantic stuff, but this is pretty compelling. Well, it depends on how well it's written yeah, and whether it's a part of the show. And, and I think um, Dax's identity, right? Be it which host or which gender, or which it's, it's, it's integral to the show. And it's fascinating to watch work through it. And I think that Dax has some wisdom there in the scene where she's like, you know, it feels uncomfortable. I think instead of denying that you're, you know, feel uncomfortable for it, we're just, breathe into it and deal with it because mm -hmm. that's, you know, and I think that's just smart and, uh, and wise from our friend Dax. We're going to get more into it as we go forward because there's an, there's a fascinating allegory here that I don't, I don't even know if it was intentional or not, but I think it's really cool. Um, all right. So we continue. So uh, O'Brien and Keiko keep fighting. Um, and uh, whether we actually don't see Keiko yet, and Odo finds this guy that he doesn't like in Quarks and uh, tries to toss him out, and they get in a fight. And uh, fun fact, we learn here, uh, as Odo says, you have 26 hours to get off of the station, that the uh, the station has 26-hour day, not a 24-hour day. That makes a lot of sense. Mike didn't know that. Mike was like, well, that's absurdly specific, Odo, but okay. Well, but, you know, and that that speaks to, you know, we, we have plenty of like ethnocentric or American centric things that we assume everyone's on the same way. And like, wh why, why would we assume that our solar system, not even our solar system, but our planet, how, why would that determine the timing for the entire universe? So there you go. Yeah. 26, well 24. Now we finally hear what uh, O'Brien and Keiko are fighting about. Keiko doesn't have a purpose on the new station. She was a botanist on the Enterprise, and there's nothing here for her to do. And what I we, said then, and I'll say now, Keith, yeah. somebody's got to grow that medicinal anxiety relief. <laughs> I mean, we're missing it, Keiko. Come on. Now, that would be a plot twist. I think it would be a pot twist. Oh, okay. oh yeah, right here. Comedian. All right, so... <laughs> I mean, it's exactly what they weed need. Okay, let's 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 keep going. Family Sorry, friendly our, show. Our 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 budding humor is not uh, oh, <laughs> not well. Oh, all oh. right. So, uh, meanwhile, Jake meets Nog for the first time with the fattest popsicle I've ever seen. It's a it's a jum jum stick, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, also, we find that Jake has grown about a foot since the pilot um and uh but it's an important relationship 
that we're starting to see them uh, make friends here. And of course, they're two very different species with two very different backgrounds. And uh, watching them navigate that will be a theme throughout yeah, the rest of the And almost murder people the, uh, together. And almost murder people together, you know, for fun. Funsies. But we find out who Odo doesn't like. It's a criminal who was shitty during the occupation. Cisco pulls rank and says Odo can't throw him off the station for no reason. So uh, basically, this guy who Odo doesn't like was uh, kind of collaborating with the Cardassians during the occupation. But he so did his time, Keith. He's Bajoran. He did his time. But uh, Odo doesn't trust him as far as he can throw him. I'll put it that far. And then we see our first shots of the hollow suite and lots of zooming in on Avery Brooks because I took a lot of uh, screenshots. So here we are, our first shots of the hollow suite. And, hashtag uh, horny episode. Hashtag horny episode. So, Mike, if you're not uh, you know, paying attention at home, the hollow suite is basically the holodeck uh, with the you know adult filters turned off, mm-hmm. although to extra be fair, webbed fingers, please, for my pleasure. Extra, yeah, no, <laughs> boo. Uh, yeah, so on next gen, we have the holodeck, right? And we established the holodeck, and everyone who's ever heard of a holodeck, we all know what the first thing you think of, and probably the second, third, and fourth thing you think of. But on next gen, it's, it's velour so sheets. Apparently, it, yes, exactly. It's it's too pure and too sweet, so nobody addresses like what really is going to go down on the holodeck. But guess what? On Deep Space Nine, we're all adults here. And we know what the what the hollow suites are for. Plus, Quark runs them, so yeah, we we know what's what. But uh, turns out it wasn't a good idea because this guy gets super murdered by someone with an S and M fetish, obviously. So uh, the geek takes out the guy that Odo doesn't like. So, and that is the end of our act one. Mike, what are you feeling so far in this episode? I, I, I think I said it then. I was like, I was, I gave, I lauded last week because I was like, oh, we're going, we're going to do a spy espionage genre. And this episode clearly right away, I was like, oh, they're setting us up a whodunit, a whodunit episode. I love a whodunit. Uh, so yeah, great. I found that kind of, also because they had really kind of gone hard with the Odo doesn't like this guy and he goes to the mm-hmm. to the commander. So I was like, okay, clearly a frame job. Already called that out. So I was like, how can they make it more interesting and not so by the numbers? Let's see. Let's see. All right. So at the beginning of Act 2, Jake and Nog are clearly up to no good. Um, and we also see that Ferengis either have blue fingernails or Nog has uh, delightful blue polish. Tough to say. Uh, and we see that Jedzia, Poor kid play, who plays Nog, Aaron Eisenberg. I feel bad, man. You get to, you have to act opposite Jake, who just gets to roll in, throw on his jumper, and go to work. And oh you got to go right. sit in that chair forever. Oh my God! Yeah. Well, uh, it, when we're all done, Mike, you're going to have to watch um, the Deep Space Nine documentary and hear from Aaron about his experiences on this because, dude, really loved this. Okay. Uh, all right, so. We continue with Jadzia telling Bashir that Trills don't have romantic relationships. As you mentioned before, this is either a canonical thing that changes severely, spoiler alert, or she's inventing a girlfriend who lives in Canada to get Bashir to leave her alone. And I could uh, I could believe either one. So uh, 
you know, but, she's but very... do trills have? Or does the actual like being have a gender? I don't think so. No. So their gender, so, their a gender, so their gender. Yeah, they're they're gender neutral, I guess, and assume the gender of the host. Um. So okay. At, at least in terms of pronouns, Jadzia does refer to herself as a she/her, and uh, but Kurzon was he/him. But I, you know, I I think in in reality, like I would feel this is a perfect opportunity for they/them, because Dax is clearly has been both. But I, you know, it's up to Dax. So I think this is a good time to kind of like quickly, yeah. like jump into the 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 parallel I see. Now, look, let me be the first to say that I am evolving in my understanding and experience and learning with um, being an ally, right? And understanding uh, gender identity, gender fluidity, sure. all of that stuff. It is, I'm the first to say I am undereducated and in the process of learning and open to it. But I will also, I'm also pretty firmly disgusted by a lot of the rhetoric, especially politically, and just the inability of people to open their minds to the fact that maybe it's not rigidly this and that, right? right? The, the, the anti-trans rhetoric. Yes, <laughs> yes, the anti-trans no. rhetoric that, that, that to, ex, to, that to even allow the possibility of some complexity all right, or diversity in in gender identification or any yeah. of that is is so difficult to grok right that it can even exist. So now I don't know that, and I haven't done a deep dive. I don't know that this is what they're trying. Yeah, the, the, that they're trying to have the conversation about with with the trailer. But I do. For it, yeah. But what I think is cool is that they do not, the, the the confusions and the complexities, even the little bit that we flirted with in the episode, are not mind-boggling to these people. They are complicated, and they are exploring them, but they are not disgusted by, or, conf or, or there is no negative connotation to the fact that, hey, you used to be, you used to identify as male, and now you identify as female, or you are, I don't know the way to, to to proxy the conversation, but 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 oh, but I'm into you. I dig you, and it's cool. And this is and in in the frame of this is network television smack dab in the, at eight o'clock in the nineties. Ninety three. Yeah, I I I think you really did put your finger on on what's great about this, and in Star Trek in general is a a radical lack. Of bigotry, that the 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 lack of bigotry here, the lack of discomfort, the sort of acceptance, and like, sure, this is normal, is radical in in a lot of different ways. And when it was 1966, and it was Trek, and you had a diverse bridge, where where you had you know it you you had women in charge, you had minorities in charge, and and, and right there, and it was normal, and it that normalizing of that was radical. Mm -hmm. at the time and that's part of the beauty of of this and and here i don't even I, I don't know how much they were really 
even thinking ahead to, or, or you know, it was very much happening at the time, but like thinking about, is this a trans allegory? Is it not? Is it about gender? Is it, who knows? But the, the lack of what from everybody was radical and beautiful. And, it's great. And I think that, and once again, Keith and I, you know, disclaimer that we are privileged straight white men. I, I think yeah. that is important that we we recognize that. Acknowledge that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But and and so you know some shows that tackled this head on, be it your Roseanne or your Will and Grace or your uh, what's the one I'm thinking of? I can't. I can't came tell. Out. Uh, Ellen got Ellen, of course. You know. Whereas they, you know, they they came out and they they messaged and they advertised the show as such, and I think that being in the forefront in entertainment that was very courageous and important. However, I think the like you said, the normalization and the mainstreaming of it. Let's say that let's let's go the other way. Let's say that they had no intention of making it an allegory, right? That it is right. simply a science fiction plot device. Still, it it just proves, like I was say, I said at the top. You can have these conversations. You can deal with the complexity of a really kind of of a an issue without doing exactly what you said, Keith. Because lesser shows, as you know, would do the exactly what you said, which is and make it about that. And thus far, these even the scenes we've had in this episode are just it's just a side little thing. It's just something we're we're dealing with, and it's not the main focus of a huge you know well, uh, plot line. Yeah, no, and and like regardless of what diversity you are talking about. The idea of infinite diversity and infinite combinations with, from Gene Roddenberry is you're setting up that it's all normal and it's all okay. And it, and and they're just, you're, you're wiring people's heads to like, as opposed to freak out and be phobic. It's just like, oh, uh, okay. There's a new thing I'm learning. Mm -hmm. Great. Cool. All right. And then you move on. And I think that, you know, look, there's a lot of work you have to do to get to get there when faced resistance, when facing resistance. But people's reactions and, you know, and there's some memes from this show that show people's acceptance of Dax and Dax's new identity as a as as an example of like, this is how you should do it. <laughs> and I think that there is um, tremendous value in that. Anyway, this is the thing we'll we'll talk about. We have another 170 episodes to talk about this. Um, but I thought it was very interesting because you texted me right when you saw it. And like, holy shit, look at this, what's happening here. And because you picked it up immediately. Me in 1993, I'm thinking, oh, there's a worm. Wouldn't even think about it. <laughs> and I think that that is, uh, that's cool. And that and that speaks to the uh, the urgency or the validity and the, the the staying power of a show like this. Anyway, awesome. We will continue. Uh, now let's let's do some silly nonsense here with uh, with Jake and Nog. They have infested some extras with fleas that turn you different colors. In what passes for comedy on Star Trek, they're in trouble. And Keiko sees it. We have some. Uh, some very fancy digital color grading happening here. Haven't seen special effects like this since that scene in Wizard of Oz in 1934 where the horse changed colors. 
That's true, though that was food coloring. I don't think they painted these poor extras over and over again. You know that those two extras, every time somebody comes over to their house, they're like, hey, you got a minute? We want to show you this video mm-hmm. of mm-hmm. us on Deep Space Nine. All right. So uh, that's my deep cutting insight. That's why you become a Patreon, Keith, for my, that deep cut. I mean, I'd, I'd, I'd pay really, you know, really good money for all that stuff. <laughs> all right. So Odo, Kira, Bashir, and Cisco investigate the body. And uh, we see the knife sticking out. Renee clearly had a cold when they filmed this. Um, but we're, uh, of course, actually, it's kind of cool. You can see here, this is what the hollow suite looks like when the hollow projectors aren't turned on, which looks very different from the grid that you see on next gen. So meanwhile, Keiko and O'Brien eat. She decides the station needs a school because, uh, you don't want those kids running around and turning people itchy different colors. So definitely time to, uh, start a school. We see a little bit of life of Keiko and O'Brien. That's an unfortunate screenshot. Sorry, <laughs> column. Uh, when we meet a very intense Bajoran dude who tells Cisco and Kira that Ibodan, the guy who was murdered, said he was afraid of Odo an hour before he was murdered. Uh oh, the frame is on. So, uh, detective. So, after this yeah. scene, I should say, yeah. I for sure. The way it was shot, written, everything, that dude who was saying, passing along that information about Ibudan and his who he thought was out to get him, mm-hmm. for sure is in on it, right? He's somebody. He's a somebody. He's somebody. He's mm-hmm. featured like he's somebody. That's he's We're going to be important. Somebody. But I find that that comes back to to be a wet fart later. But we'll it get doesn't there. really doesn't really pay off. But uh, yeah, well, we'll get there. So uh, Detective Odo goes on to Ibadan's ship and investigates his files. He apparently uh, keeps very a very tight and very well-recorded schedule. Uh, did you keep a schedule this tight, Mike? So we're uh, secure for departure. We're departing from uh, Eideron space, Alderaan Spaceport, a lifeboat drill, and then he's got a lunch meeting He's got tennis on holodeck too. I, I, I'm surprised this ship, the transport ship that he's on, has a holodeck. Uh, then dinner, and then a ship's concert. That's definitely a reference to Next Gen <laughs> and the endless concerts on the ship. And so the next day, he's got a subspace teleconference on Zoom, early before Zoom, meeting with Zaro. He's got lunch, tennis again. He, dude loves tennis. Then arrival at Deep Space Nine, which is bolded so that we can see it, <laughs> even though why <laughs> would be bolded? And he's going to go shopping on the promenade, but on the third one, uh-oh, he's got a meeting with Odo, also bolded. So mm. I don't know who this dude is, but he keeps a very tight schedule uh, for us to see here on what Wait, was did clearly- we skip past PR the whole beat where they're going to start a school? Yeah, we mentioned it. Okay, yeah, I guess that's all I need is a mention. Because it's important that she's like, you know what? I need a life's work. I'm not a teacher, but you know what I need to do? I need to be a teacher because, be because a teacher. of itchy bond powder. Well, look, she's a mom. So, and, you know, she's got, they have a daughter. So I, I understand thinking thinking through it, but yes. Yeah, that maybe I should homeschool my kid versus I'm going to start a school on the Deep Space Nine. Well, she's got, you know, look, you need to homeschool your kid and you might as well just have the other kids there. It, it makes sense in a Star Trek way. 
So uh, Keiko meets with Cisco and asks to set up a school. And Cisco is 100% on board, uh, but also super racist towards Ferengi. Uh, saying, you know, I, I don't want my son hanging out with their kind. So uh, that didn't, that's not great, but we'll address it. And we can see a little bit of Cisco's quarters. They clearly put a carpet down, got some nice chairs. Uh, upgraded from the pilot. Although they don't have anything on the walls or any other furniture. They just have those three chairs. <laughs> that is all that's in the quarters. But they're working on it, okay? They're working on it. So in the investigation, we find out there was no DNA in the hollow suite other than Ibodon's. Mm. This is already suspicious because I would expect to find all of the DNA in the hollow suites. It's it's <laughs> less, less that they were able to cover up the killer's DNA uh, how the hell did they deep clean? Well, because Keith, they didn't they didn't run the black light test. That's the problem. Ah, yeah that that would make sense. That would make the sense. So uh, Odo immediately realizes that the only person who could have killed him would be someone who can sneak through the the cracks in the door, i.e., someone who can become goo. So. So are, are are you are you feeling here? Are, is it clear to you that he's being framed, or are you wondering like, oh, is, does this turn out to be a bad guy after all? No, in no way, shape, or form did I think he was a bad guy. Two things I want to point out. Um, one, I thought it was cool, and I thought it showed his a combination of his intellect and his integrity that mm -hmm. he clearly was like, look, I'm just going to say what we're all thinking. The only person who would be able to do that is a shapeshifter like me. I think he was recognizing he was being framed and was and was bringing it up. He also had a great line earlier that um, made me laugh because uh, they were like, uh, oh, you know, where was some everybody at nine o'clock or whatever? And he was like, well, it turns out I was uh, in a, I need to regenerate every nine hours. And so I was in a, a pale, I was, I was, what did he say? I was resting in a pail in the back of my room. And I was like, that's hysterical that he's so utilitarian that he just literally has a freaking bucket in the back corner and just like goos into it. <laughs> that's well, crazy. That's, no, that's exactly right. Although it's every 18 hours. But uh -huh. yes. Um, but I, you know, that is both sort of a, a funny little punchline, but also a very important thing in learning about his species and will, of course, be a plot point later. Um, but interesting that they were able to introduce it this early. Because um, the thing. I will, I will plant the seed here, though. Remind me, because I'll forget. Um, him being so upfront or upfront about his uh, gooing, or his, no, his the ability, the only recognizing he's being framed, and that the only person in there could be a shapeshifter. Blah blah blah. Right. Right, right, right. It does lead to sort of like a, a wormholian plot, not a plot hole slash something I'm a little interesting about in, a, in an upcoming scene when uh, Cisco is like, yo, I got to relieve you. We'll, we'll get there. All right. All right. Well, to be continued. Boy, you know, you're just teasing up later in the episode. So uh, we continue here. And uh, Keiko tries to convince Nog's dad, Rom, to send him to school. It's jarring to see Rom's affectations before the character becomes more established. Also, the Ferengis are crazy sexist. This will also be important moving forward. Uh, what did you think about sort of seeing Nog and seeing how the Ferengis interacted? 
<laughs> the whole school thing seems just dumb to me. But okay, well, uh, fair enough. But I like uh, seeing. I like. I like seeing uh, Quark doing his uh, his casino thing. And, and there's one part where you know I, on one of our other shows, Keith, we talked about business as an actor, and mm-hmm. like you got this character actor in this like whole get up, this whole makeup get up in this like really crazy set, and. They're just like, here's a scene he's with, and he's like, they're like, do some business. So he's just like mixing a drink with these like huge containers, and there's clearly zero actual thought that went into like how you would mix a drink with all these things. It's just, he's just like standing there going like this a bunch. It's really funny. Anyway. Now, are are you under the impression that this is Quark we're seeing here? It's not? Oh, that's the Pitboss guy. (laughs) Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, oh, missed it totally. That's Rom. That's Rom. Yeah, well. So Rom is Quark's brother and Nog's father. Right. And they, but they both wear fancy green suits. Yeah, that's they that's sort of Ferengi clothes. That's, yeah, well, okay. Well, speaking of being racist, I guess that's yeah. that's on me. That's on me. Why? Oh, jeez. Oh, All Ferengis look the same. Oh, here's this very important char- character again. Very important. Oh, yeah, somebody at the bar. Some Bajorans who watched a lot of Bond villain scenes are suspicious of Odo and the fact that he was a sheriff, even back when the Cardassians were in charge, which actually is an important piece of information that Odo served in the same capacity, even during the Cardassian occupation. So uh, naturally the Bajorans are a little suspicious of him because he was working with the Cardassians. So that's a a big part of this. So, uh, and of course, Quark comes in and then uh, this guy, we see the music and the hood tells us to be suspicious of Obi-Wan Kenobi at the bar. Who's just like Obi-Wan Kenobi. If he had a love child with Skeletor. Ooh. Obi-Wan Skeletor. Yeah. No, I totally get it. So, uh, Skeletor yeah. Kenobi. Mm. In, in in very subtle foreshadowing, we see, hmm, that's nothing to be suspicious about. So uh, as we continue out of the commercial break, Bashir keeps looking for another suspect. And uh, so he's he went back to the quarters of the guy who got killed to keep looking for another suspect. But uh, guess what? Out come the pitchforks and torches because the Bajorans are pissed and Kira has, but Kira has his back. Uh, And so what we see here is that uh, what, uh, what Bashir is doing is he found some DNA back at his quarters and now they find out this DNA. And so he's trying to grow it to see what it is in this lab deal. Uh, okay, so... Because science. Yeah, well, but, well but he, he found out that Ibadan had been doing medical experiments before. Oh, well, right, 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 right. Important point, important point. So, uh, anyway, so what's happening here is Cisco realizes that the investigator is investigating a murder where he is the prime suspect. Uh, just might possibly be a conflict of interest. And so Cisco tells Odo he's off the case. And, uh, you know, Odo's kind of a dick about it. Yeah, that's a problem for me, Keith. It's a problem for me. Because we know Odo to be very upstanding and very uh, competent. 
clearly he knows what Cisco has to do. He clearly knows Cisco has to do that. In fact, he should have come to Cisco and been like, yo, you got to do what you got to do, but I'm still going to keep investigating. Yeah, I, and I, I think we see sort of a uh, a, a character uh, piece of credibility and a character flaw in Odo here. One, he's got impeccable integrity and sense of duty and so forth. But he's also a little bit defensive and a little bit touchy. He thinks he's beyond credulity, I think. And so he's he's a little bit uh, touchy about it as well. So it, it's, it's, it's an interesting piece of the character to me that he's, uh, he's not the perfect Picardian, like, well, of course. And he's like, no, fuck you, I didn't do it. And uh, I think that speaks to... Uh, I don't know it's just part of the character. Yeah, I, I mean, but of... it is. It, I mean, you get you could you could poke a few holes in 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 Cisco and his motivations too, because Cisco makes it pretty clear that he also doesn't believe that Odo had anything to do with this, and that is evidenced by both him saying that, and also the fact that they let him still be completely involved in the investigation as it continues. He come, he's in the, yeah. d- the doctor's quarters. He's here. He's there. He's going all over the place. He goes into the guy's room so clearly. So so if you're going to trust him and believe him and let him still... So it's clearly just optics for Cisco. Yes. Yeah, I think it's about the appearance of uh, conflict of interest. But I think, I, I think you're right. Even if it's like, I know you didn't do it, but it's important for the optics of it. It's important for the, um, you know, for the Bajoran people who understandably don't trust you. Mm-hmm. to see that this is being done by the book, then you got to do it by the book. Yeah, there's yeah. there's a little bit of hypocrisy on both sides there, actually. Um, so, uh, but as Act 3 begins, Odo returns to his office to see that it's been trashed and somebody wrote Shifter on the wall. Uh, but uh, guess what? Somebody's here to help. Quark offers to help. There's no cameras up in this place? But, uh, apparently. You can just stroll up in and graffiti and that's cool and then like walk away I, in someone I, else's room? It, it, for for Odo, that seems very unlikely. But perhaps, again, that speaks to, you know, a touch of arrogance for Odo thinking like no one would possibly go into my office because I'm Odo. So, I don't know, maybe, or it's just a plot hole. Anyway, uh, they spar and spar, just kiss already. Uh, but Quark has been doing detective work in the underworld. So, uh, you know, Quark and Odo doing their thing. So what do you, so, you know, again, I think I asked you this in the pilot, like, are you, what are you feeling between Quark and Odo here? Quark isn't really like anything to me yet. He hasn't really done enough to, but here what I think is cool is that they have established that they don't like each other. They say as much, they're always at each other's throats, but it seems like there's like a, there's a, there's a modicum of respect, at least on Quark's point. And uh, that's an interesting wrinkle. And and what's really great acting, I mean, Renee is just so good, is he's a complete dick to Quark this whole time, but then there's like a there's like a brief moment at the end where Renee gives us this like just this look, this consideration that shows a shift in his feelings towards Quark, which is cool. Yeah. Uh much more on that later. No, so let's get uh, back to the trill. Let's get back to what we're talking about here. Let's do trill. Let's do some more trill horny. Yeah. So uh, Bashir's experiment is growing some DNA from Ibadan's quarters. I mentioned it. It's getting bigger. 
and Cisco accidentally sets up a lunch date with Bashir. <laughs> Which I thought that I thought was funny. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, at lunch, we get a bunch of Dax position and some muddy gender politics. Uh, we talked about a little bit. Uh, meanwhile, well, but Kate, what makes oh, that? Oh, go ahead. I'll let you finish a bit first. Uh, I, I, I was going to move on to the next scene, so go ahead. Oh, yeah. What I find really kind of what I'm still learning, what I'm still learning about is Avery Brooks never gives you a straight line reading. He is the king of like, I'm going to I'm going to throw you curveball line readings. And for anybody who's unfamiliar, a line reading is like pretty much what it says. When you see a line in the script, you read it or you say it as you think the person would say it. Avery Brooks doesn't do that all the time, though. He he gives you interesting line reads, and they use a lot of them. They and, do. And the line read he gives in this scene where he's like, I'm not interested in Dax, so like you do your thing, is not convincing to me. And I think purposefully. I don't he's definitely not say he's saying I'm not interested romantically in Dax, but the way he says it is not convincing to me. It's it sounds there seems to be lay, multiple layers to it. It's a really cool line reading. Yeah. Well, it, you know, and at this point, I don't know if the show knows where that's going to go. Um, and, and also he, some of the memories he has with uh the previous host Curzon. Curzon that is even further muddies the water, right? Cuz well, they, they did some they like they got sexy up, up stuff yeah for sure yeah 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 i mean and that's and that's an interesting uh exploration of of uh, how your experiences shape your identity but your identity can change uh, it's 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 a lot of stuff less stuff going on there um and uh you know the relationship between curzon and cisco is always so you've one... met curzon before outside I... of that like scene in the pilot where they're changing hosts have I personally? I mean, seen in the universe in this Trek verse. We are we are going to yes we we are going to see a little bit more of Curzon moving forward, um, and we're certainly going to get more about that relationship uh, for sure. So that will be interesting. All right. So uh, back at the bar, we uh, we see Odo sitting at the bar, and everybody goes some. Um, and uh, people are getting really pissed. But uh, Keiko and O'Brien are about to open the school. We meet their daughter, who is super adorable. So cute. So adorable. Maybe not quite ready for the Alamoremis, but uh, but super cute. <laughs> um, then, also, uh, a little young for school, maybe? Well, they say she's going to be in school in a couple of years. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, but O'Brien brings her a teacher's bell as a gift, which is kind of sweet. Yes, clearly um, the the Deep Space Nine uh, is as well funded as our public schools. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but then out come the real pitchforks, <laughs> and oh, the extras are extraing really extra uh, here outside. <laughs> Yeah, it was it, it 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 wasn't the greatest extra work. Guys, I'll uh, stand know, there. Nobody move. Nobody even make a, a facial gesture. Just kind of be there. No, and I you know I gotta say I I love Star Trek so much. The their like crowd extra work is usually atrocious, and it continues this way. Also, Morn is there for some reason. 
uh, who is the sort of alien creature there, and you saw his action figure. Uh, this over seven seasons, we don't get a lot of information about Morn. In fact, uh, one of the gags is he never says a word the entire run of the series. No, but he likes uh, an angry mob. He's in. It, this feels out of character for the Morn we get to know later. But again, you know, we hadn't established this kind of stuff. Uh, all right. So, uh, yeah, we've got extras. And back in Act 4, we see that uh, Bashir and Dax discover that the bowl of goo is... Well, I'll get to you later. I'm not going to tell you what it's going to be. But, it's gross uh, looking, though. That is for sure. It's definitely something organic. So the crowd gets all nuts, and they start smashing things. They throw a brick, a future brick, which you can see in the screenshot here, which you can't really see, but I happen to catch the frame. It's a future brick. It's a fancy, uh, it's got it's some got vents. It's got vents to it. And uh, <sighs> and, we, and we see our, uh, our buddy Obi-Wan back there. We see the goo getting bigger. The crowd goes all nuts. Cisco gives a Picard speech about the search for true justice, uh, as you would expect. And Bashir announces that the... Uh, oh, yeah. So we have some... Oh, yes. Here's uh, the crowd gets nuts. We have a phaser into the ceiling, which is probably not a good idea. But Bashir, looking very happy and sassy here in this picture, announces that the uh, it's a clone. Ugh. And that Ibadan killed his own clone to fake his death and frame Odo. So, uh, yeah, so that's what happened. Did, so, did, did his clone, you think, did you think his clone was also a bad guy? And, like, or did he convince him of the plan? Or did he not even know about it and he just, like, sent him on the ship? Like, he, like what? You know what I mean? Well, uh, we have a segment called Wormholes in the Plot. Mm -hmm. uh that maybe i might i might ask some of those questions because they, they they establish later pretty firmly that like in a couple days this clone is going to be just like a new member of the of the bajoran right. nation a fully person yeah so like what inform what i don't know that it's murky but it's a cool cool science fiction idea i i like it and uh i kind of you know i i don't want to say it like it was like totally obvious it, it, you had an idea of where it was going but it was cool nonetheless yeah 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 for sure also you can see in this picture here that odo's makeup is not in its final form uh we actually see more of renee's face than we get used to you know but they were dialing it in it was it was early and canonically odo's dialing in his face too yeah, to he says he said as much and i think it was last week yeah, that he's he's unable to fully approximate the humanoid feature, so it's his best work to try to do it, which is weird because he can turn into like birds and stuff, but whatever. Anyway, uh, so guess what? We find out that it was Obi Wan the whole time, and Odo comes up and shapeshifts and catches him in the act. Scooby doos uh, him, and he full on Scooby doos him. To do the reveal that it was him. He killed his own clone. He was alive the whole time. And uh, if it weren't for those measly kids. Pesky who, uh, kids. Yeah. Pesky kids. I, I forgot I forgot what it was. But, you know, if it weren't for the meddling pesky kids who are all now at the school. 
Then the school opens up, and uh, wouldn't you know it, Rom brings Nog and makes him be in the classroom. And, uh, you know, apparently Rom doesn't like humans either, so it's kind of awkward all around. And a couple of extra kids. Did he know why there was the beat shift? Did they explain that? Like, why he was like, never, and then he's, then he's like, get in there. Maybe he's being bad well, again, and he was like, I can't take care, I can't take this kid's crap. Well, I, I think that Keiko made a pretty good argument for why the school would be beneficial to Nog. And, and actually, that, that is important because it gives us some, some backstory about the Ferengi. That uh, it's good for Mike to know that their entire culture is based on commerce and competition mm-hmm. and the, you know, uh, getting material wealth and such. And her argument was like, look, if, if you want, you know, Nog to be successful businessmen and be able to exploit all these other cultures and take all of their money, wouldn't it be good if he understood them and knew what their deal was and their history and all that kind of stuff? And it was a pretty good argument for why he would send Nog to school. So there it is. I answered your question. Uh, yeah, but there it is. We have uh, finished season one, episode three. I think it's time to uh, do it. The Alamo Emmys. What do you say, Mike? Let's do it. Okay, here we are in our little after show show. And as promised, we are going to start with the segment hey mike are there any worm holes in the plot the first one i want to say that kind of i don't know why it bugs me keith clearly it's not a big deal but it bugs me i just don't understand why keiko can't be a botanist it's the future it's space it's that didn't say she likes plants or that she's like a because even o'brien is like oh maybe you could do some plant installations on the promenade and make it look pretty but that's not what a botanist is she studies plant life she's a scientist why can't she be doing experiments? I mean, it's in the future. You can't work remote. <laughs> That's true. Come on. Well, they, like when she said, I want to do a school, he's like, oh, we got all this gear and all this kind of cool stuff, and, but you can't get her botany sign. Well, whatever. I don't know why it bothers me. And then it's like, it seems very like gender rolled to her. Like, she has yeah, to be a teacher. It didn't, it just doesn't feel right to me. Yeah. No, no, no. I'm, I'm with you on that. I, I think from, from the canon standpoint, because they're on a space station that now is a day's shuttle or at least hours shuttle from Bajor. If they were still in orbit of Bajor, she can go down to Bajor and work, but because it's now far away or at least far enough away that you can't commute, she's like, well, I can't really do this on the station and I want to be here and I want to be with the, with the kid. And uh, you know, maybe that'll come up later. So, but that's, so that's a good point. one. The other one that kind of bugs me a little bit is, I mean, I understand the mob rule thing here. I understand mm-hmm. the idea clearly, but the person they picked to be the sort of fulcrum, the 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 the, the boss of the mob, is nobody. Yeah. Like, there's no. We couldn't find a more interesting person than like stock angry guy. Yeah. To be the head of that, it doesn't. It, it it doesn't make any sense, right? I get that there's a history why I don't like Odo, but then, I don't know. I just found, like, it felt like they introduced him like he was going to be somebody, and he turns out not to be. I don't know if that's a plot hole. Uh, maybe this segment is things that, that burn Mike Mike's wormhole. 
<laughs> He's got a Bernie wormhole. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, and I know you've got one that we share, yeah. so I'll, I'll let you say it. Yeah. So, so mine is about the the clone rules, right? Yes. So, does the clone have his memories or not? Because if he does, does the clone know he's a clone? Because the clone that got killed, at least he knew enough to go to the Hollow Suite and get a massage. Does it like I know nothing? Let me somebody just like push him into the hollow suite and he's like, okay, massage. Or did like did he think that he was Ibadan? Did he not? How like I just want to know. All right, you grow a clone. Sure. Got it. Sci-fi. Great. But getting the clone from when you've grown him into the hollow suite so that you can kill him. How do you do that? Because it's going to be difficult whether he has your memories or not. He doesn't have your memories. He's like, oh God, what's happening? You know, like I'm like a, a baby mind. I don't know anything. I don't and but if he does remember, he's like, why would I do this? I'm you. Or I don't know. Question. Wait, hold on. Hold time out, time out, time out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe I'm being naive. If the plan is, okay, I want to frame Keith. So sure. and Keith, because Keith hates me. I'm gonna clone me. Right. Allow wait in the hollow suite. Clone me comes in. Mm -hmm. Lock the hollow suite so there's no right. evidence. Kill me. Mm -hmm. Where do I go? The hollow suite never opened again. They said, "I'm still, I'm still the murderer. I'm still in the room." Holy shit! I hadn't even thought about that. So the whole clone thing is moot because I'm still the murderer and I'm still in the room. That's an even bigger plot wormhole in the plot. I mean, the big thing was nobody entered or exited the room after it closed. Right. So where'd the masseuse go? And also, where did I go? Well, the, the masseuse was holographic. Oh. That we. <laughs> okay. But, I was okay. But where'd but, I go? Guys, did we miss something? If you, <laughs> right? if you have an answer to this, leave it in the comments below. Because other than that, I think Mike just broke this whole episode. It's broken now. It's all broken. It wasn't the, perfect. The general conceit, because it's really cool broken. they had to clone him. But then, like, who cares? He, I'm still there. Right. He's still like, I'm not here. Also, that... the murder. Sorry, I put it up. But also, if I'm going to murder myself and I'm worried about DNA... Why am I wearing gloves? It's just my DNA on the knife. They're not another. Not. Yeah, right. There's no reason to like. So that's just like a red herring. That, that was just like his geek outfit. That's my murder. So somebody outfit. in like hooded guy would have wearing big rubber gloves would have had to be stalking through the ship. Right. That's and also last plot hole. Mm -hmm. They added the extra wrinkle. I don't think they needed to do of like, I think they're trying to, they hit us over the head a little bit too much about like, oh, Odo's man alone. With the with the graffiti in his room and stuff, like clearly, if somebody had trashed his room, but I guess that wasn't necessarily murderer guy. That could have been any of the angry mob. So, oh no, I I think we're to believe that that was the mob, and that because he was different. There, I mean, that's sort of like a Frankenstein mob. Sort you know, of we get into. We'll talk about this more when we get into the um, the rating. But you know, I do understand that. In 45 minutes, you have to 
truncate some things, right? You have to, right. sometimes you have to go broad to, to kind of shorthand an idea. So I get that. Um, but there was just a few ideas, the mob rule thing, this, this episode was a little heavy handed and a little, it could have, it could have, it would have been served by a little more nuance, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, I completely agree. Well, we just talked a lot about what we didn't like. Let's talk about what we did like. Mike, what was your favorite moment? Um, I actually think, oh, there's a lot of good moments. Well, I'll pick, I'll pick a kind of rando one. I think all of the stuff they did with Brazier being sort of the like, Brazier, Brazier, Brazier. How do you say his name? Now I've (laughs) Doctor Brazier, Brazier, (laughs) Brazier. Dr. Brazier. Dr. Bajir. Uh, I feel like he... <laughs> Bazir? Let me be very clear. Bashir. Bashir. This is a this is a mess. This is a mess. We've gone off the rails. <laughs> Not even like some weird alien name. It's a common name. Dr. Bashir. There you I go. feel that he uh, we've been getting on his simpletonness. I mean, he's still horny, uh, and he's still socially simple in times. But I like that he got to be the CSI kind of like, yeah, science investigator and show a lot of competence and and really crack this thing wide open. So, and he comes in and saves the day because who knows where things were going down in the angry mob? Because uh, everybody, it was, it was like a designated survivor down there. They had all the the, the head honchos down in front. Uh, and it was getting ugly, so uh, he really yep. saved the day there. No, no, for sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think for me, I like two things. One, um, I the just the visual of the uh, of the like the little blob turning into a person that looked amazing. Yeah, it was like cool. you know, it was like gross, but I thought that was just like really, really cool. And I liked the sort of science of growing this and seeing what happens um you know it turned out to be a fully functioning human who was not responsible for the crimes of there but again like does he have memories and whatever i don't know questions don't know um but i also like the you know a good odo um and quark scene is always super fun and i love their dynamic together is always sparks flying there so uh i liked that all right let us give this episode a rating Mike, it's time. Give it a number, Mike. I also want to mention I, I dig the scale once again. The um it's really clear they're using practical sets for most of this stuff. And they're big. For all of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's really big. It it doesn't feel as kind of claustrophobic as some of the ship stuff does in other yeah. shows. Um Yeah, this one wasn't as strong. I liked that we got to see a lot of Odo because I I've I'm really loving that character and I'm loving Renee. I'm bearish on what I bet Renee. Bazir. Bazir. So I dug that and I, you know, I dug, I just love Avery Brooks line readings. Every, I'm just like, what? That's, that is just what? off, the wall. off yeah. the wall. Um, but like I said, some of the, a lot of great ideas. A lot of great ideas, and some of the shorthand, I think, 
just solve it. And if until someone fixes the, how did he get out of there? Th that's gonna bug the living crap out of me. It's entirely I, possible that us two dum dums just missed something. Yeah, so, maybe the logs showed that. I'm sure somebody will correct us. Okay, great. Regardless, I think that the the ideas sort of were better than the execution for much of the episode. I think is is basically the my summation. But those ideas, especially you know, with some of the huge things we talked about earlier, with the trill and with the interplay with different characters, there's still a lot of great world building taking place, even with a, a plot that sort of was a little. Meh. And I like that. Yeah. I like a whodunit. I, I feel like some of the next gens I've seen have done better whodunits. Mm -hmm. Um. Anyway, at the end of the day, I'm gonna say it's still in no ways a bad episode. I've been in the mid '80s, so I'm going to say 77, whatever Macaulay's. Okay, yeah, I, I, you know, watching this again, you know, a couple of times, I feel like I understand why they flipped the order. I understand why. Uh, 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 what was it? Um, past prologue was a better episode two than a man alone, and. I, I like thematically a lot of it. Um, the whodunit is fun. I liked that we, especially this early in the series, are, you know, we don't know necessarily that we should trust Odo. We don't know that Odo's a good guy. So I like exploring that. I like exploring the sort of xenophobia that happens here. I like exploring um, just starting to touch on Odo's past. And uh, so that's cool. I just thought that, uh, sort of like you said, all of it could have been done better. The whodunit, like, has clearly has some pretty big holes in it. Um, if we're going to make Odo be suspicious, make him suspicious. Mm -hmm. Like, we didn't, we as the audience never actually suspected Odo. Right. And if, Correct. you know, and if we're in season five, I get it. How could we possibly? But now, you have an opportunity to actually make us question whether or not Odo did something. And uh, I, I've kind of found that, found that interesting. You know, I, the, the performance of the extras, it just wasn't great, you know, and the sort of bond villainy aspects of um, the leader of the pitchforks and torches and the very obvious, like, here's the bad guys in a cloak. It was just a little ham fisted. And um, so, you know, I didn't, I, you know, the school thing was fine. Like, I get it. Um, you know, I like you're trying to establish a, a, a more cohesive world on the station and showing that it's bigger than just what's happening with these seven people. So I get it. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it, it's just not a, you know, as an episode of Deep Space Nine, it's not very strong. Um, so I'm going to give it a 68. 68. So like, okay. it, you know, is it terrible? No. You know, is it one that I'm psyched to rewatch? No, it's kind yeah. of forgettable. So, right. um, feels good. Yeah. Feels right. So, Mike, now you know what it's time for. It's time for you to tell us what's going to happen next week. You know, I, I think it's time that you give Mike a, an opportunity and a reason to easily separate the ROMs from the quarks in this world. Uh, mm -hmm. By giving us a quark-focused episode, 
So we're going to get Quark doing quirky stuff. Something's going down in the casino. We're going to learn a little bit about the what he's got, the operation he's got going there. Is it all above board? Is there some funky business going behind the scenes? I think we're going to dive into the, the, the casino underbelly of Deep Space Nine next week. Okay. Well, next week in real life, we're watching the episode Babel. So uh, a very interesting episode. So uh, before we say goodbye, Mike, remind everybody one more time about all the annoying stuff they're going to skip. You can support the show at patreon.com slash KME shows. Uh, we could use a help. But guess what? You can do so also by just subscribing to the channel, KME Entertainment. The redundancy is on purpose because it's satirical, right, Keith? Right. Yeah, totally on purpose. Also, go ahead, give us a like, give us a subscribe, tell a friend, hit the bell icon, check out our other shows. We we play with toys on the other channel, and uh, we still currently have a uh, David E. Kelly the practice show that we are barreling towards the finish. So check, come and join us for the last leg. And uh, thanks for your time. Yes. We will see you back right here next week. Till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. Thank you for watching KME Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe. <laughs>